morning. Steve has done made me sound so good, so don't get your hopes up too high. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, I, it really is such a privilege to be able to preach here. Um, we're such an attentive church and always easy to preach to and always just very appreciative and, and helping me develop and grow. So I'm very thankful for that. But this morning, before I even get off anything else, let's get right into the word. I want you to turn me to Ezekiel chapter 33. And if you're like me, Maybe you've never heard a sermon preached out of Ezekiel, and that's because this book is very strange. <laughs> it's very peculiar. There's a lot of weird things that go on in this book, so I've never heard a sermon preached out of Ezekiel, um, and I've never done it. I've been preaching for five years. I've never done it myself, but bearing into this, God has really laid it on my heart this week as a pastor and to preach to you as a church on the topic of repentance. As a leader, we have the responsibility to preach about repentance, and what I see is a lot of churches, a lot of pastors, they, they portray God in a menial way. You know, you, when you think of Jesus Christ, you think of a guy with long hair, you think of the cross, you think of a baby in a manger. But let me remind you, he, he's not just all loving and, all, and he always forgives you to come as you are, God. And that's true. He is those things. But right now, he's seated on the right hand of God, right hand of the Father in all of his grandeur. And he's going to come back and judge the world. He's sovereign, he's all-powerful, and he's just. And let me tell you something today, as I preach on the topic of sin, he hates your sin. And we see a culture today of so much vile behavior. I mean, sins, inventing ways of doing sins. People are all about pleasure, they're all about themselves. And let me just remind you that no sin will go unpunished. God cannot be mocked. What one sows, he also shall reap. And I think that's why Ezekiel is one of those books that might kind of have a tendency to get overlooked. So it's not necessarily a fun message to preach on this topic, but it's necessary. And I also like it because Ezekiel, at this time that we're going to preach, it's about 597 B.C., and he's about 30 years old. And he's, you know, it's pretty young for a pastor. And he's going to stand up and deliver a message to Israel about their sin. He's going to take the message from God. He gets called to be a prophet. He has to stand up and deliver this message. And sometimes that's how I feel. I'm surrounded by people my age I have very little in common with. They're doing things that are unheard of, and I'm trying to speak to them, I'm trying to preach to them, I'm trying to live that out. I really relate to Ezekiel in that way in this text. So in chapter 33, the title of this sermon is The Good Watchman. And that's what we're going to see today as Ezekiel, he's going to function as Israel's watchman. That's what God tells him to do. And I want to remind us that God has given us a responsibility to warn others of God's upcoming judgment. We can't just tell everybody that he's all loving and he's all, he'll forgive you, come as you are. He will. He doesn't want you to stay as you are. He wants you to repent, be baptized, and grow. So as we get into that this morning, we'll look at Ezekiel chapter 33. We'll start in verse 7. If you'll read with me, it says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them a warning from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not speak out to dissuade him from his ways, that wicked man will die for his sin, and I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you do warn the wicked man to turn from his ways, and he does not do so, he will die for his sin, but you will have saved yourself. Son of man, say to the house of Israel, this is what you are saying, our offenses and sins, they weigh us down, and we're wasting away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. 
but rather that they would turn from their ways and live. Turn. Turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? I really I like this text. It's a stark warning that he has to preach on. And really and truly, I like the narrative of the watchman. It gives us a great idea of what a watchman should be. And the first thing we see from a watchman is a watchman needs eyes that see. Eyes that see. God told Ezekiel, he had made him a watchman, but what exactly does a watchman do? So in today's society, I guess a watchman probably is looking at radar. He's looking for threats. He's looking for um, nuclear weapons. He's looking for anything that could damage people, and he has to provide a warning so that can prevent the disaster from occurring. And that's the same thing that we see here. They watch for enemies. They watch for disasters. Anything that brings death and destruction, and they issue a warning. In Old Testament times, which we're preaching out of now, that would look like somebody high on a tower, looking out over the top, looking for any incoming armies, looking for any incoming problems, and then alerting the people. That's the job of a watchman. But Ezekiel's job as a watchman was just a little bit different. He wasn't supposed to keep his eyes open to watch for the enemy, but his ears open to listen for God's voice. Look what he says in verse 7. He says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. So essentially, Ezekiel's job was to listen for God's words, listen to what he was saying, and then warn the people with it. He was a watchman in that way. He wasn't looking out over the horizon. He was listening for God so that he could warn the people. You know, God has called us to pretty much do the same thing. We're supposed to be watchful. And there's a number of scriptures that support that statement. 2 Timothy 4, 5 says, But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, But the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 through 6 says, You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Ezekiel's job was to look and listen to God and portray that message. And that's what God's called us to do as well. As Christians today, we're supposed to be watchful in our prayers, watchful to the things of God. And it's in that that that, that God revealed to Ezekiel that the problem with the people, they were in captivity, in Babylonian captivity, and they thought that was their enemy. But God revealed through Ezekiel that the real enemy was sin. That's your real problem. That's the greatest problem of the world, and that's the same thing that we see today. And it's through through Scripture that we learn that. It's through God revealing it to us that we learn that. That's why we have to keep our ears attentive to God and our eyes focused on Scripture so that we can see. And it's in this word, what does he reveal to to us Christians that that we need to see? It's that his standard is absolute perfection. God cannot be, be associated with unless there is perfection involved. He demands excellence. It is perfection. And we know we can't hold that standard. I'm not talking about earning your salvation. But he's a thrice holy God, and you cannot be rectified to him unless there's been some type of perfect sacrifice, which we know is Jesus Christ. And he's made you his watchman. Some of you don't even understand that you're his watchman. But he's made you his watchman, not to just sit on the fence, but he's made you to watchman to keep a, vid- a constant vigil, scanning the horizon, looking at Scripture. He says, hear the words I speak. You can't just see what's going on. He says, hear the words I speak and then issue the warning. What does Scripture say about sin? 
Because we have a real problem. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you have a real problem that has separated you from the creator of the universe. He said all the, all the wages of sin is death. All have sinned. All are unrighteous. No man is righteous. No, not one. We have a, a sin problem. It separated us from God. And there's people under the sound of my voice this, this morning who haven't ever come to that realization that that's your real problem. And as you seek to fill it with every other area of your life, let me tell you something. You're never going to have peace. You're never going to have contentment. And you're never going to be back rectified to God until you deal with that sin problem. That's what we see as a watchman this morning. First, we need to apply it to our own lives as Christians and repent and live a repentant life. Just because we see the problem, it's not enough just to see it. We have to have the courage to speak it. A good watchman has the courage to speak it. Obviously, scanning the horizon for a problem, great. But if I don't tell anybody about it, I'm the worst watchman there ever was. <laughs> that's our job. And if that's all we did was just look around, we, would, we wouldn't be any good. Whoa, here comes an enemy. Here comes an army. I think I'm going to sit on that. Whoa, sin is your biggest problem. It's going to send you straight to hell. I think I'm just going to sit on that. I'm not going to tell anybody about that. A good watchman sees a problem, and then he has to have the courage to speak about it. He has to watch and give the warning. The same was true for Ezekiel. If he didn't warn the, upcoming, the people of the upcoming disaster when he heard from God and destroy the wicked, look what God told him in verse 8. He said, you're going to be responsible for their eternal death. You're going to be responsible for their souls. I'm going to hold you accountable for their blood. I made you a watchman. Now you say what I say, and if you don't, then, you're, then their blood is on your hands. That's what he says in verse 8. He says, when I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not speak out to dissuade him from his ways, that wicked man will die for his sin. I will hold you accountable for his blood. Ezekiel had to. He had to warn them. He had to warn them of their sinful rebellion against God. He had to warn them of their their wickedness and their injustice. He had to warn them of their complacency and their backsliding. He had to warn them of God's upcoming judgment against their sin. Why? Because those who know the truth are responsible to hear it. Those who know the truth are responsible to share it. Today, Ezekiel sounds those same warning cries. Through pastors, elders, through parents, friends who warn us about our wicked behavior and your deliberate sin, he says, you're rejecting me and what I've done for you on the cross. Your disregard for my will shows you have no faith in my gospel. And let me tell you something, if you continue on the path of sin, there's hell to pay for. That's good preaching. It's hard preaching, but it's the truth. God wants you to repent. And since God calls us to do that, he says, if I, as a pastor, as a church leader, if I don't tell you that, then your blood will be on my hands. It's our responsibility to preach that truth as recipients of that truth who understand, who can see. The world can't see they have a problem. Our job is to warn them, is to sound the alarm. We have to quit excusing the sins of others. Quit, quit allowing sins. People are just excusing sins away. You can live together before marriage. You can do this before marriage. Homosexuality is okay. You have to stand firm on some things and be willing to call it out. And let me tell you something. When you are, it's unpopular. But what if I lied to you and you didn't get to heaven because of it? What if I thought that you were okay with God and I never really checked? I never really preached on this topic and you got there. Then it would be my fault. It would be like my neighbor's house is on fire and the whole thing's engulfed and I'm looking through the top story window and he's sitting up there with his family and I see the bottom of it's on fire and I don't say anything. I just shut the blinds. 
I did that, then it's on me. But I like, I like what God says. It's not all my responsibility. You know, I'm just a pastor. All I can do is tell you about it. I'm not the one that can save souls, but I can lead you to Jesus. He's the one. I can plant the seeds, but he's the one that has to do it. But I, I do like what he says here in verse 8. It says, but if I do warn the people and they refuse to believe, then that's on you. Verse 9, it says that. It says, but if you do warn the wicked man to turn from his ways and he does not do so, he's going to die for his sin, but you will have saved yourself. You want to stay in the house and you want to get engulfed? If I see that it's in fire, on fire, I've done my job. I told you the whole house is on fire. And if you don't put some water on it, the whole thing's going to burn down and it's going to take your whole family with you and you're going to pass away. It's our job to preach that. It's our job to warn the people about him. While it's not our fault if they refuse to listen, it is our fault if we keep quiet. And I see a lot of people's houses on fire. I see a lot of, I see a lot of the world's on fire. And a lot of Christians aren't saying anything. But that leads into the next thing. You know, a good watchman, he can't just see, and he can't just have the courage to speak. But a good watchman has to have the solution to save. I'm not up here this morning beating the banner trying to make you scared of hell. I'm up here this, this morning because you still have power. But the job of the watchman is not just to look at the enemy and sound the alarm. Oh, we're all doomed. You're all going to hell. That's not what my job is. That's not what a good watchman does. He alerts the people so that they can get ready. So that they can get together, so that they can get behind the fortified city wall and protect themselves. This warning was sounded in Ezekiel's time to save the people, not just to scare them. The intent through Ezekiel was to save the people. And I love that. God isn't some God that's sitting on a hill with a magnifying glass looking at the ants and just wanting to burn them, okay? God loves you. And this is what he says in verse 10. It says, Son of man, say to the house of Israel, this is what you are saying. Our offenses and the sins, they weigh us down. We're wasting away because of them. How then can we live? Say unto them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they would turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? Ezekiel has given us that encouragement this morning. God doesn't take pleasure in our deaths. But I'll also tell you this, he doesn't enjoy sending anyone to hell, but if you reject his forgiveness in Jesus, you're choosing it. You're choosing it. You're saying, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't, I don't care about your, your way, God. I'm going to do it my way. And the world tries to do that, and Satan tries to do that so many ways. He says, oh, there's all these other ways. You can do it later. You can do it this way. Let me tell you something. You're not getting into heaven apart from Jesus Christ. And God sent Ezekiel to remind the people of their sin, but also in his grace, he also sent him to remind him in his mercy. He said, I don't take any, any pleasure in doing any of this. I want all of you to turn. And since he doesn't ever change, even from Old Testament to New, this gives an accurate depiction of how he sees sinners today. He's loving, he's merciful, and he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It pains God so much that people are going to hell. So much so that he came down in the flesh on his own accord. He came down here to provide a way that you could be back reconciled to him. Because he knew you were going to fail. He knew he wasn't going to be able to hold his standard. He said, i got to provide a way for them because I love them. I hate their sin so much, but I love them so much that I'm going to come down in the flesh 
be their perfect sacrifice so that they can be right back with God. This is the truth. This is what we see. We see the, the generation needs Jesus. We see the, the opportunity that we have. We need to have the courage to speak, and we need to provide that solution to the people. I want to ask you today, as I look out amongst you, y'all look like good Christians to me. Sunday, you got on your Sunday best, but what are you doing with this truth? I already told you, those that have eyes to see and they know the truth have a responsibility to share. We see lost people all around us on a daily basis. We see a need to repent. People need to repent and come to the knowledge of Jesus. That's the message. That's what we need. That's the solution. And church, you know the solution. You have it. You've been entrusted with it, born again believer. You know what 2 Chronicles says. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, Pray and seek my face. And don't miss that next part. Turn from your wicked ways. He is a God of of grace and a God of mercy, and he does love you, but you still have to turn from your wicked ways. Then I will hear you from heaven. I'll forgive your sin and heal your land. I want to ask you that this morning as I look at you. It's not going to be you, church, pastors, life group leaders, men, women, family members. If it's not going to be you, And who's going to tell the lost about this God? Who's going to tell the lost about Jesus? Who's going to stand firm and say, no, this is the truth. Even if it's unpopular, even if it's hard, even if you don't understand it all, this is how you get to heaven. This is the biggest problem of the world. Who's going to do it? And even more so, it's not going to be now than when. There's an urgency to this that I I think you need to grasp this morning. As we are in this season where we have a model of the heart for the harvest, let me tell you something. We're at a critical time where people are dying and going to hell every day. And we don't even think about that. We like to block that out. But people are dying every day because of this. Because they don't know that sin is their number one problem. Because they don't know Jesus is the way to salvation. Their families are being led astray. Their families are being destroyed. And God's revealed the solution to us. We have a responsibility to go and tell others. Now more than ever. The world needs to see Christians who know the truth, speak the truth, and are allowing it to produce action in their life. And I'll tell you a story. So I used to think, so pastors, they always have these good stories to fit along with their sermons. So bear down with me. I got one right here. And it just I was like, how do they get these stories? Steve has good stories. He talks about the oil rigs, and they have all these good stories. I'm like, wow, that just fits. So this is my story to you that just fits in this sermon right along, and I just thought about it during this week and just added it to it. But essentially... I grew up in Alabama like most of you know. I grew up poor. Rent was about $200 a month. That's not an exaggeration. There was no smartphones. I didn't have any satellite TV. The generation that I'm with used now, I can't even relate to y'all because we are, we are not the same. And in the summers, it was so hot. It was about July. And I'm talking about it was hot. It was about 112 degrees. We had a window unit in my house. Anybody have any window units? And that thing used to freeze up, man. And when it froze up, it would just you'd have to wait for it to thaw. And then it would just get so hot, and we, we would go swimming. We wanted to go swimming so badly. And when we had a little money, we'd go to the city pool where Aaron was a lifeguard at. But I could have never afforded to get in there, so I always had to go swimming at this creek. So just like any given day in July or June, super hot, boring in a town of 2,000 people. I mean, what are you going to do? So me and a group of buddies, we were swimming like 
like everybody did in the town. We were swimming. We would drive out there to this place called Iron Bridge. It was a closed road, and we'd jump off in that creek. It was flowing water. It was deep. It was, it was a very fun thing to do, get, get cool in the summer. And one day I remember, just like any other day, I'd jump off. It was about 10 feet down to that water, and I'd jump in. And all of a sudden, I'd I'm underneath. And I hear my 10 friends, I probably have 10, 12 people, everybody screaming. I'm underwater. I don't know what they're screaming about. And as I come up, it's like a simultaneous thing. I'm coming out from the water, and I see two eyes looking at me. It's a water moccasin. Giant snake. True story. And it's literally right there. And it's like almost in the same breath as I see this snake, I see another splash. And it's my best friend who anticipated the problem. He saw the snake coming off the bank right at me, and he jumped on his head. Thank God for Russell Acker. <laughs> but he, it, the, the, the story says the same. He didn't just let the danger come to me. He didn't just see the danger, yell from the bridge. Thank God that he got in there with me and he said, I see you have a problem. I know you can't see it, you're underwater, but I'm going to jump on that snake because I got your back. And too many Christians today can see that there's a problem, but they're standing on the bridge. Let me tell you something. A lot of people aren't coming to faith just because you're telling them about Jesus one time. Are you guilting them because they didn't come to church every single week? We need more people like Russell Acker who are going to get in the water with us, who are going to show us what it looks like to be a Christian. He showed me that he cared about me because he didn't just see the problem. He jumped in and he had my back. Thanks for yelling for me. Great, but I'm, I'm way more grateful for the guy who jumped on the snake. And I say all of those things because as, as we get into this narrative of a watchman, that's what I want you to be today. I want you to be a good watchman. Whether you understand it or not, God has made you a watchman. What does that mean? It means you, you take the, the Christianity that you have. You take Jesus because you see the problem of the world. You incur, I'm encouraging you to speak about it. And I'm encouraging you to live it out. And I could go on that soapbox for a long time. Or I could tell you about the best example that I had in my life when I got saved. And it was my grandfather. And that's who I was named after. My name is James Land. His name was James Land. They took the, bi the best person in my family, and they named me after him. They told me that now. I was like, wow, thanks for naming me after a, a high-standing guy, you know. That's how they do in the South. They named me after him. And he was a pastor in rural Arkansas, and I never went to church. Growing up, I was never raised in church. I didn't understand about Jesus, and I never knew. And it ain't like we spent a lot of time together. But in the summers, I would go there, and let me tell you something. I would always go there, and he took an interest in me. He gave me my first Bible. He showed me what a Christian looked like. He prayed for people. He showed me his office. He told me about Jesus. He saw that nobody was taking me to church. He saw that I didn't understand, and he got activated, and he loved me. He showed me what a Christian looked like. He was with the same woman 60-something years until the day that he died. He, he baptized me. And I'm telling you now, it didn't happen the first time that I went. It happened way later. I came in the summer. I spent a little time, and I didn't get it. I took that first Bible that he got me, and I stuck it on the bookshelf. And I didn't go back to it. But next year, I got it again. I said, I got my Bible. You know, I'm here. And I went back to church again, and he was at another church, at another parsonage, in another small ministry, pe preaching the same gospel over and over, showing me what it looked like to be a Christian, showing me what it looked like to die to yourself and to preach Jesus. He never owned a home. His congregation was probably never more bigger than 50 people. But his whole entire life, he had a profound impact on me because he was there for me. He showed me what the hands and feet of Jesus look like. That's what I'm calling on you to do. It's not going to happen overnight. 
But in this season that we have, this drive for the church and this appetite for the harvest, this is what it's going to take. And it's of the essence that we do these things because Acts 17, 30 through 31 tells us this. This is a huge problem, and I want you to understand this, but God has told us this. He's not going to overlook the ignorance anymore. He says this. He says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. As the worship team comes up and makes their way to the stage at this time, I want to tell you something this morning. I see 20 to 25 people that I've never met in my life. I don't know where you are in your walk with Jesus, but it's my job as a watchman. He brought you in to me today. Somehow I got up. I don't get to preach every week, but I'm here today. And let me tell you something. There's a major problem with this world, and it's sin. Sin is the biggest problem. That's what I see from the watchtower. That's what I've been revealed to in Scripture. And I'm dedicating my life to preach the truth of Jesus Christ because I want you to be there. I want you to be in heaven. Why, what does this church exist for? This isn't just a group of people who come together. We're trying to get to heaven. Jesus told us, he says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We're not going to tell these people who are around you. When we leave out of here, I want you to find somebody you don't know and tell them about Jesus. Talk to them. Make them feel welcome. This is God's house. He wants them to be there. I want you to be there. This is of the urgency. And if you haven't repented, God calls you today. He says, you can come right now. Right after this service, you can come. You can repent of your sins. God will come and he will forgive you right now. He's made a way for us to be reconciled to the Father through Jesus Christ, that's the solution. And as you go out to your to your jobs, you go back to your life, Sunday's over, you're going back into your life, play the long game. Like I said, my granddad, I wasn't saved the first time he gave me that Bible. I hid it, but I brought it back, and I brought it back, and I brought it back, and every summer I would write it back until finally I got baptized. Finally I could see the problem was me. The problem was my sin. I'm the one that put him on the cross. And I felt so such a burden in my life when I saw that for the first time. I said, I need to be saved. Lord, what do I do? He took me just as I was, in spite of my sin, and he forgave me. He said, everything that you've done, I put it on my son, Jesus, because I love you. And it was the only way. Let me tell you something. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. And he'll prepare a place for you if you'll let him. After service, me and Steve will be right up here. We'd love to talk to you about Jesus. We'd love to share that solution with you today. Because this is the change that the world needs to see. They need to see Christians stand up for what the Bible says. And they need to see Christians who live it out. Not because we're good. Because Jesus is great. Let us pray. Lord, I ask that you bless these people, God. Under the sound of my voice, all these people in this room, dear Lord, we pray for revival. I pray for repentance. I pray that these people would come to you, God, and you would forgive them. Meet them where they are this morning, dear Lord. In your house, in your name, as we do everything we can so you get involved. I'm asking that you get involved. I can tell them, Lord, but it's about you. You do what you said you would do, Lord. Save their souls. Activate the Holy Spirit and change lives, Lord. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.
praise the Lord for what he's doing among us today. Don't you love the story about Jimmy's grandfather? Do you know that everything that Jimmy does for the Lord, his grandfather has part of? He played the long game. He was faithful over time. Each of us is called to do that. But you may be wondering today, well, Steve, what am I supposed to do if I don't know Jesus? We'd love to talk with you after the service about that. Jimmy and I will be right down front. You heard the story. Your house might be on fire. The snake is coming for you. Oh, don't leave. Don't leave without receiving that gift of salvation. It's a precious, precious gift. And it's an amazing opportunity, but it's not going to last forever. So don't miss that opportunity. Before you go, I just want you to sit down for just a moment. I want Saran Drayden to come down. We have a new membership process in our church, and we like to introduce people when they come to join us. Come right down here, Saran. Let's give Saran a round of applause. Julie, introduce Saran to us. I'm going to stand up here so you all can see me as I speak. Uh, So Saran is from uh, Port Charlotte across the state, and uh, she was awarded a scholarship to come to the Florida Atlantic University to get her bachelor's and master's degree. Brilliant girl, finished her bachelor's in December with a, a year and a half to spare, so was already in a master's degree program in social work. Um, she was not raised in church, and even by middle school was starting to explore the New Age movement. But when she came to FAU, she prayed to Jesus that he would help her find someone that could help her learn about growing in understanding of him and went to an on-campus ministry. And a young woman, a student, was part of that ministry. She took seriously her role as being a watchman. And she met Saran and shared the gospel very clearly with her. So here Saran's heart was already open and wondering. This young woman explains to her the gospel and, and Saran goes back home and uh, to her apartment, continues to think about it and pray about it and prays to receive Jesus on her own as her Savior. Now the young, one of the young men that joined, uh, was presented last Sunday, Trey Carroll, he plays basketball for FAU, has been her boyfriend since elementary school. Over in Port Charlotte. Lucky guy, right? Precious, precious couple. And so they started coming to our church a couple years ago and talking with Steve and me, and we baptized her last year. So she felt led to join and become part of us, and and it's children's ministry. She wants to shout and see what's involved. And um, they're already getting involved in our young adult life group. And over Christmas break. Something happened. A romantic evening there on the go. beach, pop the right. question. So they're planning their <laughs> wedding, and we're thrilled to have them part of our congregation. Awesome, awesome. This is what we do. If you're interested in membership, see us. Uh, we have a process we go through. We're very intentional about making sure people know Jesus and they understand what the church is all about and get involved in the church. So we're thrilled to have Saran and so many others as part of this process. We'll be doing another cycle probably in March. So. Thank you so much for being a part of our church. If you have interest, we'd love to chat with you. And welcome, Saran. Now, after I pray, I would love for you to come by and greet Saran and uh, and just welcome her into our church. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you for Saran. And we praise, praise you for her relationship with Trey. We pray for them as a couple, Lord. And, uh, Father, we thank you for your body, this family that works together 
to follow you, to lift you up, and to guide people to know you, Jesus. It's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much.